Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the V1 Church Podcast. This is the lead pastor, Mike Signorelli, and you're listening to a podcast because you believe that you can change and that your life can be better if you have the right information. Well, if you've ever felt like, man, I'm just not enough, no matter how much I accomplish, it doesn't satisfy me, it doesn't make me feel like I have self-worth, Galatians chapter three is God's prescription for you today. So go ahead, lean in, take notes, and I'll see you on the other side of this message. Yo, 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 we're back already. (laughs) Sneak attack. Can we give it up for everyone who's watching the live stream right now though? We love our live stream family. People go on vacations and they watch the live stream from vacation. Uh, People live in other countries, but consider our family, their church family. Aren't you glad for that? Um, If you have your Bibles, open up to Galatians chapter 3. We are in week three of our series, Beaches, where we are going to read through the entirety of the book of Galatians over the course of the summer, and we're halfway through after today. How many of you have gotten something out of the last few weeks and, and went back to the podcasts, went back to the stuff online? Have you guys been doing that? You know, I really believe that if we build the kind of church where Monday is more powerful than Sunday, uh, I think we, we've discovered the true gospel because this shouldn't be the height of your week. I'm telling you, the real madness happens when you get alone with God for yourself and you say, okay, everything I got from Sunday, what happens if I do it? What happens if I make this a part of who I am? I'm telling you, your car rides are going to get real crazy. You ever had one of those car drives where you just like, the Holy Spirit starts wrecking you and you start crying. You're like, I hope the cop understands why I'm swerving. (laughs) Am I the only one? You're like, why would God do this and his sovereignty is risking my life? Um, But I would pray that tomorrow you would wake up and there's something about what happens in this time, in this service that just becomes the impetus, like this desire wells up inside of you. I want to pray. I dare you. You know, I'm always going to judge the fruit of this ministry by the spiritual life and existence of just the non-ministry person, somebody who's got to do the grind. My wife and I worked double full-time jobs for over nine years while we were serving as local church pastors. And there was something in that season of my life that God had to do because he was teaching me, don't become a professional Christian. You know, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, well, you get paid to be a Christian pastor, but for the rest of us, we want to kill somebody. You know what I'm talking about? But, you know, I believe that in God's wisdom, I, man, I was tested and tried in those ways. And I, I know what it's like to be on that commute. I know what it's like to come home. And, you know, let me just be real with you before we jump into Galatians chapter 3. We live in a guilt-ridden society. So we're just going to get vulnerable today. Last service was pretty quiet. I think probably I was speaking into some things that you don't talk about in public. But I'm going to go there, all right? And we live in a guilt-ridden society. Let me tell you like this. Most of you in this room, you have this little law that governs your life, and it's called your bedtime. And you are grown, and you still don't have a bedtime. And then you say, I'm going to wake up in the morning and be one of those super successful entrepreneur types that wake up at 4 a.m., right? And you never wake up at 4 (laughs) a.m., and you're not successful yet. (laughs) And you just, you get a little dose of guilt, Oh, I stayed up too late. Stranger Things just dropped. Guilt. (laughs) Then you wake up late and you didn't have your coffee or Devo and everyone's posting, oh my God, Galatians is blowing my mind. And you're like, you know what blow my mind? Another cup of coffee because I don't want to live anymore. 
am I the only one? And you get a little drip of, of guilt. And then you say, well, I want to be a good employee because I want to be a person of integrity and character. And then you go to work and then you realize, I still hate this job. And so you, you binge watch uh, more, more Stranger Things um, from your phone and then a little drip of guilt. You know what we are given this exchange in our society of uh, pleasure for guilt? Like, you shouldn't be doing this, but I'll give you a little bit of pleasure if you do. You know, you, it's like that's the exchange that we make, pleasure for guilt. And then we say, man, you know what? I really need to be engaged with my family. I feel like I'm never looking them in the eyes. And, and I, you know, I'm going to drink an extra pot of coffee so that when I get home from work, I can really be that dad I should always be. Then you get home and you're like, you know what the accomplishment was? I worked today and I fed you guys. Dad's going to go watch more Netflix. <laughs> and you get a little bit of pleasure for a lot of guilt. Or try being a mom. Man, heaven forbid. Try being a mom in the 21st century. You're supposed to be a breadwinner and a full-time mom and a full-time Christian and a full-time wife. I mean, all these things at the same time, guilt, 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 guilt. And so we live our entire life sort of in this vacuum where we're never enough. Did I just depress anybody? <laughs> so I was like, I don't know if I feel better. But is this not 21st century living? Nothing you do is ever enough. I mean, I watch, I, I kind of coach ministry people and 500 people came up to church, came, came to church this week. That's awesome. Let's do 503 next week. Everything is, it's like the baseball card of your life. And you're always cranking out these stats and you're, the ESPN is rolling in your head every day. And you're just like, wow, I, I'm terrible at this thing called life. But everyone feels that at the same time. So I needed to kind of put this in context because this is a little bit like what it was like to be inside of Judaism at this particular time, because there were so many rules that regulated every single one of their behaviors. It, it was like from sun up to sundown, you had all these multifaceted rules that you would have to engage with, and some of them were restrictions and some of them were laws. You know, for example, if you go back to the Leviticus, it's one of the most riveting books in the Bible. I know many of you have, you started in Leviticus when you became a believer, right? Um, we pass up the book of Leviticus, uh, but that book, it, here's why I think there's such a richness to the book of Leviticus, because it gives us a window into the intentionality of God concerning the details of our life. And some of the things in Leviticus, you know, when you have friends who tell you, well, I don't believe in Christianity because they said you can't eat shellfish. Well, praise God, you can. Any other seafood lovers here? But at that particular time, the Jewish people thrived. And the reason why they thrived is because some of what was restricted by God, and they said, we, God is giving us this restriction, was actually a, a response to what technologies were and weren't available in their day. And so before you have modern plumbing, a lot of those restrictions make sense because you were severely limiting the possibility of the spread of disease. And so in the same time that the Jewish people were thriving alongside other cultures that were being subdued by sickness and disease and illness, it literally became this big billboard for, for uh, Judaism. It was like, a, it was like, hey, we don't suffer the way you suffer because God gave us wisdom about the details of our life. And because we're living according to these laws, we're thriving while you're dying. So they didn't view the law as a bad thing. Did I lose anyone yet? 
All right, because I don't know where y'all are at, but I'm just going to go there because it's the summer and the real Christians come to church on su- in the summer. But they didn't view the law as a bad thing. Many of them viewed it as the very preservation of their life because to understand the way that they should live in that historical context meant you probably weren't going to die of something avoidable. Are we all on the same page? Then you compound that with the fact that it's a ritual now as well. So, for example, Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles, these various different rituals were your holidays. Can you imagine if I said, in order to be a V1 church member, you must give up Christmas Day? What would you do? I mean, some of you, some of you misers in the place would be like, hallelujah. (laughs) But the rest of us, it would be, you would conjure up all of these memories across the time span of your life and say, I can't give up Christmas. I mean, surely there's got to be a way that we can co-opt Christmas and make it something that is suitable for us to still celebrate it. Do you see the psychology of the book of Galatians yet? These Jewish people were looking at Christianity And Paul's saying, we no longer have to circumcise. We no longer have to do all these restrictions and these rules and these laws. It's not not necessary. It was a coach. It was guardrails. It was a guide. But it's no longer necessary because we have the cross, the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ and the spirit living inside of us. And so you can fulfill the law without love. But when you have true love, you will fulfill the law. And he was blowing their minds in a really bad way. Because what they were trying to grapple with was how do we preserve the richness of our history and our traditions and all the emotional connections that we have to these things, the things that caused us to thrive in eras where people were dying, the things that that bonded our family. I mean, when we would say Shabbat Shalom and we would have challah and we would hang out Saturday and we were to get, and you're just trying to dismiss all of it. And they were wrestling with this. And so they infiltrated these, these churches that Paul had planted. Four of them are listed in the book of Acts um, as far as exploits that Paul went on. And it was in the region that's now known as Turkey, and, but it was then known as Galatia. And these Judaizers, which were people from Judaism who did believe in Christ, but believe it was Christ plus all of their laws and rules and traditions and histories, they converged in the same church and the Judaizers began to pick up influence because it just sort of made sense. And you know why? The gospel is so simple and so easy. It doesn't make sense. We love to complicate things. Am I right? You ever been in a relationship where that person just actually loved you and you could not believe it? This is how messed up we are. I'm a little messed up. It's like we complicate everything. And the gospel is simple, but we complicate it. And it just always makes more sense the way like, okay, I get it. I'm bad. I mess up all the time. So if I can do this thing, I can pay back my badness and then I'm in right standing. Doesn't that make sense? Right? Well, like you bought me Chipotle last time, and then I'll buy you Chipotle this time, and then we're friends, right? Like, okay, deity, like you helped me because I was terrible, so now I'm going to do load in and load out and serve on the worship team and preach, and then we're in good standings now, right, God? And God's like, you missed it, bro. He does say, bro, if you're listening. Let's see what he says. Galatians chapter three. Oh, foolish Galatians. This is Paul writing to this people who has bewitched you. Another translation actually says who has put a hex on you. In other words, he's saying there's something demonic going on. 
There's something that's otherworldly happening in your midst. I don't think that this is just the theology of man. I wonder if there's something evil at play here. You all know we still have that happening in America. We have that happening on Long Island, right? Church people who keep thinking that you got to earn God's love. Who put a curse on you? Who bewitched you? Who hexed you with that demonic thought? Who? He's coming out swinging. Don't you love Paul? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Like you saw it with yourself. Okay, let's go back to the basics. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul's uh, asking a lawyer question. He already knows the answer and he knows they know the answer if they're listening. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So you started this thing supernaturally, but then you're going to be perfected by contributing to it with your own works. And it says this, did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Here's one of the main points. You can follow the law without love, but you cannot love without following the law. Paul is actually not dismissing the law. He's actually telling you Christ came for its fulfillment. And I'm going to just kind of break this down. And I'm trying not to preach. I'm teaching, okay? See how in verse 6 it says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, there was this show back in the day called The Living Color. I don't know if you remember that show. And they just used to do this segment where they did yo mama jokes. And every time, so you guys ever see that, that video where it's like somebody drops a, a, a cut down or whatever, and then everyone goes, oh, and they jump back. When Paul would have dropped this line, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, it literally would have been like, Mic drop. Oh, no, he didn't just use Abraham. That's your own guy. You're talking about fulfilling the law of the Torah. He just got you with your own dude, Abraham. How are you going to refute? And Paul was probably like this. <laughs> I'm serious. He, that, he came out swinging. He's like, I know you're so good at fulfilling all these laws. I know that you know the Torah. I know that you understand. I can tell by the way you're dressed that you're really into that kind of thing. But do you remember Abraham? Abraham, there was a covenant that was made, this unbreakable agreement before him and God that he was going to be blessed forever and his descendants were going to be blessed. And guess what? He really wasn't as good as you. Ooh. That's nasty. That's dirty. Thanks, Paul. I like the way you roll. Can I keep reading? Skip down to verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And so the understanding was that the blessing comes. Now watch this. The blessing comes as a result of fulfilling the law. So if you do the right thing, you are righteous. Makes sense, doesn't it? You know what makes you righteous while you're driving your car? Going the speed limit. That makes you righteous. Makes sense, right? Okay, and so he's saying, you know this, but then he spins it. And this is where the freedom, this is, now what? Many of you are not gonna jump up and start shouting and running around, but if you get a revelation of what I'm about to read, you might just start running around this joint. Can I read you the Bible? 
He's saying, for you rely on works of the law under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. You know this. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Oh, he's setting up the T. He's going in. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. And he says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's shouting. Get the organ going. Get the organ going. Come on, let's go. Curse is everyone who hangs on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Oh, see, I know you don't I know you don't know yet because it, it would have went in a straight up revival if you knew. See, there's a lot of Christians who think they know this, but you don't have a revelation of it. You could be hearing it your whole life, but you don't really have a revelation of it because I can tell by the way you strive. I can tell by the way you compete with each other. I can tell by the way that you never, ever fully walked into the confidence of who you are as a son or daughter, that you don't have a revelation on what I just said. Here's what he said. All those rules that you think that you need to do to be in right standing, somebody did it for you. Hey, while you were sleeping, somebody woke up early for you. Hey, while you neglected your kids, somebody else was squeezing their heart in their chest and keeping them going. Hey, all the things that you task yourself with, all the things that you think you should be doing better, you have a heavenly father who went up ahead of you through the cross, who forgives you for your sins, who conquered death, hell, and the grave, who calls you free, calls you chosen. And it's not ever going to be about how good you can be. But somebody right now, I can feel it in the room. I can feel it maybe through the live stream. I don't know. Somebody's thinking, but that just doesn't sound right. You're right. There's more. Can I tell you more? Yeah. Here, here's the rest of it. I am legally married to Julie Signorelli. She used to be Julie Owens. I just upgraded her last name. I'm sorry. <laughs> All the Italians said, amen. <laughs> so when that was so bad it's like so bad I used to be funny I'm just like a dad now so first I saw her from across a crowded room and then I got to know her and then I fell in love with her and then legally we got married do you see how that works do you see how that works and see what happens is some of you are doing Christianity in reverse you're concerned about the laws and the rituals and you've forgotten about the love and the relationship. And I bet you, if you start falling in love with Jesus, if you start getting to know him, if you start letting him breathe that breath of life on you and whisper in your ear the things that he says about you and your life and your future, and you continue to fall back in love with him, some of that stuff that you're trying to clean up, some of that mess that you're trying to rearrange and shove under a carpet, some of that stuff that you're trying to ignore, if you would fall in love with him, I bet it would be worked out. I bet something else would start to happen in your life. If you get the love thing right, right. If you get the faith thing right, if you get the obedience through faith thing right, you will begin to move into another season, another era of your life where God will say, oh, I can help you with that. I can help you with that. The very gospel message is the idea that you can't help yourself. And if you know, if you've lived a little bit of life, you know that's true. The gospel story is that you are wholly reliant 
on Christ, that you need him in a way beyond you've needed anything else, that if he doesn't do it, it's not getting done. And that if he doesn't change you, that if he doesn't break you, mold you, make you and put you back together and fashion you into what you're supposed to be, you're never going to be able to make yourself that thing instead. And you know why you're not shouting me down right now? Because every single one of your brains has an operating system. And some of you have Mac and some of you have, um, you have Windows. And Windows programs don't work on a Mac and Mac programs don't work on a Windows. You know what I'm talking about? See, when you don't have a biblical worldview, you can't even function. You can't even download, install, and run the program of the kingdom. Most of you who are listening to me right now are programmed with a philosophical worldview called postmodern worldview, a secular humanistic worldview. And you have been brainwashed to believe that you are the center of your universe and that if anything good comes out of your life, it will be the result of your own grit, determination, and hard work. And the problem with the secular humanistic worldview is that it's true with a lowercase t. What that means is, yeah, there's hard work involved. Yeah, there's grit and determination involved, but that's not the whole picture. And what happens is your life begins to break down when you reach the end of that philosophy. I can prove it to you. You wanna know the most frustrating moments of your adult life? When, when you tried in all your might and all your power with all of your intelligence to get it right, to go to the next level, to be successful. I literally feel the spirit of God so strongly right now. Somebody is gonna get a revelation of the pure gospel. Whenever you reach that moment where you said, I can't, it didn't work, I did it. I did what they told me, I did try hard, I did believe in myself, I did say the affirmations in the mirror, I did schedule my whole day, I did wake up, I did eat right, I did it, and, this, and it didn't get me there. When the philosophy of secular humanism and the postmodern OS crashes, you're going to be in a fork road, a fork in the road. Many times you're going to go to alcohol. You're going to go to, you're going to say, well, I tried marriage. I mean, they say in the book of Genesis that God invented marriage. I don't know if I liked his idea. You're going to go to infidelity. You're going to go to porn to seek your pleasure instead of intimacy with your spouse. That's where the fork in the road is where you're limits are is an opportunity for the gospel or it's an opportunity to crash and burn and i spent many times in my life coming up to that crossroads and in galatians chapter 3 paul is prophetically looking into the future and he's saying if we let these people infiltrate the church and make it all about rules and regulations they're going to put a stranglehold on the true gospel of grace and people aren't going to know the fullness of what they have access to and they're going to be they're going to end up looking like another flavor of Judaism instead of this whole radical new way of doing and being and existing called being born again being born again being born again. Here's what Paul says. In Hebrews chapter 11, you, you skip down, it says, by faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would, he would rather receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. In other words, he said, there's something, there's another path. There's another path. 
and by faith, the evidence of things hoped for and the substance of things not seen. I'm going to move in this new direction. I'm going to go into this uncharted territory. I'm going to believe that there's something there because I've already seen the destruction that was waiting for me over there. I'm not going to repeat that again. And, and you know, for me, that Abrahamic territory, that whole other world opens up when you say, by faith, I'm going to obey. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. See, Abraham's family had only ever been in one region, in one location. What if your family's only ever seen divorce? What if your family's only ever seen alcoholism? What if your family was a really religious family, but nobody really knew Jesus? Sometimes you have to be willing to be a foreigner in a strange place and say, sobriety is a strange place for my family, but I'm going to step out in faith, believing that God's going to meet me right there in that moment. Oh man, reconciling a marriage instead of giving up on it. That's a strange territory for my family. But you know what? It may run in your family. But he says, if you'll partner with God, you're where it runs out. And I, I believe that this happened. He said, by faith, somebody say by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. Oh, I love it. I love I love scripture. Let me just hang on this word. She was enabled to do something physically impossible because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Can, can I just tell you, maybe you keep getting to this place in life because you don't consider him faithful who made the promise. Maybe you know, sometimes when you've been talking to somebody and you got something in your teeth and you walk away from the conversation and you look in the mirror and you're like, I wish they would have told me. You have distrust all over your face. You have distrust all over you. And I can see it, church. But if you will have faith and say, I trust the one who made the promise, he will enable. See, that's the thing. This is the gospel story. Sarah wasn't able to have a baby, but she had faith and she was enabled because she trusted in the one who made the promise. That's not secular, humanistic, postmodern world view because the world would have told you, Sarah, make peace with your lack of ability to have a child. But faith says, believe in the one who made the promise and all things are possible. Your brain can be different. Your, the blind eye can see. The lame tongue can talk. The deaf ear can open. See, faith speaks and fear jumps. And it's about time that we start talking back and saying, I trust in the one who makes the promise. I don't trust in myself. And I think that's what makes Abraham's story so compelling is that Abraham got over himself. Could the greatest victory in your life not be a demon cast out of you, but you cast out of you when you learn how to live outside of yourself? I mean, Abraham got out of his own way. Couldn't the biggest devil in your life be the one you see when you look in the mirror, church? Get over yourself. 
get past yourself get through yourself God wants to do something that exceeds your own ability Sarah God wants to do something that exceeds your own goodness Abraham by faith and I love this last line and I'm closing here all these people were still living by faith when they died you know what's more important than how you die it's whether or not you're still living by faith when it happens come on i can't make anyone in this room a promise that you're getting out alive in this life but what you can do is make a commitment see this is what i i remember one of the most radical prayers of my life was hebrews chapter 11 verse 13 all these people were still living by faith when they died preach my funeral like that I want to preach everyone's funeral of V1 Church. They were still living by faith when they died. And they're saying, well, that's so morbid, Pastor Mike. But you know, I think there's something bigger at play in this atmosphere right now. It's an opportunity that Paul spoke about to receive the pure gospel, the unadulterated truth that God, when he created you, knew his limits, but he made Jesus to get you beyond them. That is a blessing. And I know I'm breaking some brains and I'm breaking some mentalities here, but there's a very demonic theology going around today and it's all being predicated on a phrase. And you're gonna hear this phrase because it's entered public discourse, speak your truth. The problem with that phrase is it makes truth relativistic. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. I am the truth. And so I'm not so concerned about hearing your truth with the lowercase t. I'm here to introduce some people before I call it lights out on this planet to the truth. Because when you meet him, you have met the truth. And when you know the truth, you can walk in the truth. And when you walk in the truth, you will start manifesting the greatness that he has preordained you. The book of Ephesians said before you were born, he predestined you for good works. He predestined you for good works. And so when you know the truth and you speak the truth, which is Jesus, and you walk in the truth, then you start manifesting the good works that he has destined for your life. But if you continue to surrender to this truth with the lowercase t, which is the American dream, morally relativistic, speak your own truth, truth, you're always going to end up short of what God has for you through the gospel. The last scripture in the third chapter of Galatians is Paul saying, when you've received this, this unadulterated gospel, then no longer are you Jew or Gentile. No longer are you poor or rich. No longer are you male or female. You are one through Christ. Right now we live in a world where every person is mobilizing politically to try to create that reality. And I'm not trying to dismiss politics. I believe that we should have Christians in, influ in spheres of influence in every single realm of our culture. Not trying to dismiss politics. But what Paul said is when you receive the gospel, you will be able to achieve something that politics will never be able to achieve. Look at the unity in this room. Young and old, black and white, rich and poor, all under one house, and 2,000 years later, we've achieved on a Sunday morning the thing that 
policies, procedures, protests, struggle to create this moment right now where when I would say, get to know your role, you hug somebody that doesn't look anything like you with the love of Jesus. And that's what Paul was talking about. And I think that whenever you have a culture that starts to distance itself from that message, you can try as hard as you want to create this unity, but it'll be a false unity. And the unity that we have here today is the only unity that can truly exist. And it's God knitting hearts together as one. And he calls it the church, his bride. And he gave his life for it. Literally died so we can come together in unity. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful for that? And so if you're here, I want to end like this. We live in a call out culture. We love to call people out. Every time I preach on gossip, nobody ever thinks I'm talking about them because they always have good reason for why they're gossiping. They're helping somebody. They're helping somebody see someone else's thing to help them. They're letting you know so you can pray for them, right? The internet is rife with call out culture and bully culture and our schools are rife with it. Our churches are infected with it. But what Paul did in this message of the third chapter of Galatians wasn't call out culture. It was call up culture. He was saying, hey, God's got so much better for you. Come on. I'm not calling you out. I'm calling you up. And, you know, I want to end this service by calling you up today, calling you up to the fullness of what you have access to through Jesus Christ. And, you know, it's just crazy because he it says that he removes our sin as far as east is from the west, that he forgives us and remembers it no more that if we hide ourselves in, in Christ, that when God looks at us, the penalty has been paid for our sin and he sees his son, Jesus. And, and yet we, get, we just get so forgetful. And I think that a special church is the kind of place where we don't just call each other out, we call each other up. And we say, I'm gonna remind you who you really are, a son or a daughter. And I think what he was doing, the reason why he was invoking this story of Abraham he was saying, hey, guess what? Don't forget who you really are. You think that you've been in right standing by God because you do all these rules and regulations. But remember, Abraham, it's a covenant. Remember who you truly are. It's deeper than that. Would you stand to your feet with me? You know, in this guilt-ridden society that we live in, I just want to have a very vulnerable moment with you guys. Can I have two more minutes? Just like probably a legitimate two. You know, there's different stages of defeat that you go through in life. The first stage is when you get to the end of that secular humanistic thought and you're like, I tried my hardest, I did my best and life just keeps bucking back. I'm not, and then you say, you know what? This is when I go and crash and burn. You go, that's one stage but you can actually be in this lower state. And once you get to that next stage, you'll actually tell yourself what use is it in even trying? You don't have to shout me down, but have you ever had that thought where things are so bad that you actually look at it and say, what use is it even trying? Because I hear it in the spiritual realm right now in my ears. Prophetically, God wants me to literally like call your heart's thought out loud right now. He heard you say it. What use? Is it even trying? Because there's, you can get in that stage. 
I remember sitting and counseling with my wife and looking at her and say, I don't even love her anymore. I don't even feel anything for her. And I remember looking at her and she's crying and she thinks we're reconciling our marriage and counseling. And I'm going, what use is it even trying? I mean, I've been on this ministry journey and I've failed more times than I succeeded, just to be honest with you. You're just sitting in my success, but you, if you'd have been with me five years ago, you'd have been sitting in my failure. And I remember being in seasons where I'm like, I keep trying to serve the local church. I keep trying to go on my journey to launch a church. And what use is it in even trying? Have you been there before? Have you been there before? When Paul wrote Galatians, he was writing to two different audiences. See, the reason why it was so easy for prostitutes and for for tax collectors who were Roman sympathizers, who were hated by the Jewish people, the reason why they were the first people to receive this gospel message is because they had gotten so low that they just said, what use is it trying anyway to do all these laws and customs of Judaism? Because on my de best day, I couldn't do it. And they were real. They were real. And sometimes you got to get to that place where you say, everyone here already thinks I'm a whore. What does it matter anyways? But Jesus is in town and I'm going to take a chance. See, there was a spirit of Abraham in the prostitute at Jesus' feet who said, I'm going to go into this other place. I'm going to take a risk. I've got chills all over me right now. Somebody's going to learn the true gospel message right now. Say, my family's never been to this land before. We've never been to this territory, but, th but there's Jesus over there. And I'm going to take a risk because if he is who he says he is, I will be saved. And by faith, she began to pour out that alabaster box. And she began to lavish her praise on this man named Jesus. And guess what? She was right. She was right by faith. She had that spirit of Abraham. I'm going to go into the unknown now. God wants to release somebody here into the unknown now. See, you can go to church your whole life and you never walked into the unknown. Every time I look at my wife now, I say, I can never fully know her, which makes every single day of our marriage exciting because there's more mystery to explore. And in my immaturity, I didn't have that revelation of marriage. I also didn't have that revelation of God. So you can go to church and think you have it all figured out. But if you'll go into that other place, God will invite you into the mystery. He will invite you into the depths and he'll say, you can never fully know me, which is why eternity is so exciting. And that's what I'm offering you now. That's what I'm offering you, an invitation into mystery. See, you have to give up your right to know what's next. You have to give that up sometimes to follow God by faith. Because he won't lay it all out for you because as soon as he does that, he nullifies your need for relationship with him. He's got this way of just saying, come on into the mystery. You know the same roller coaster that absolutely terrifies Bella is the thrill of another 12 year old's life. Fear is just an interpretation of data. Could it be excitement and you keep interpreting it as fear? Could it be the thrill of mystery that he's inviting you into in this moment? Taste it, taste it, come on. 
Maybe it's not like your last church. Maybe it's not like the Christianity you were raised in. Maybe it's not just a new worship song has to come out for you to cry again during worship. Maybe it's not somebody has to just speak the right word for you. to. What if you can just read the Bible tomorrow morning and the words come alive off the page and you become a disciplined learner and a follower of Jesus Christ and you get your mind blown tomorrow morning more than you did today? What if that's what this is? Would you close your eyes? This is an invitation into the mystery. I wanna see who the Abrahams are. I wanna see who the alabaster box holding prostitutes are who say, I'll give it all because it doesn't even matter. I tried doing it the other way and I'm still empty and I'm still broke down and I'm still hurt and I'm still busted. I'll try this thing, Mike. If you're here with every eye closed and you wanna know the Jesus that Paul talked about, the one that met him on the road to Damascus when he thought he was being a good boy. If you want that Jesus, would you just raise your hand right now and say, I want that Jesus. Awesome. Just borrow my words and pray this prayer with me right now. You, you just borrow my words. Just say, Heavenly Father, thank you for the cross. The sacrifice that you made, that my, my sins are forgiven, that my past is forgotten. And today, I give up striving, I give up competing, and I fall into the arms of grace. Ooh. Say it again, I fall into your arms of grace. I trust you, I give my life to you. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. I don't know if you could feel it, but there was a sacred, sacred moment that just happened. And I dare you, I dare you, I don't know how else to say this as your pastor, I dare you to talk to him this week. I dare you to read his words this week. I dare you, please don't let me be your relationship with God. You be your relationship with God. I dare you, please taste it. Please pray. Please, please, somebody here just wave at me if you're gonna try it this week. Please talk to your dad today. Please, please, I beg you, listen to him through scripture more than a celebrity preacher and their clips they put out. Talk to him more than your gossip friend that you call on the phone. Please, I'm begging you. Here's one last challenge for the super Christians. Read more scripture this week than you do reading social media posts. Try to tip the scales of your diet where you eat more of his word than their words and see how your week changes, okay? All right, now let me tell you this. Abrahamic covenant means that you're blessed in the city and you're blessed in the field. You're blessed when you come in and you're blessed when you leave. You're blessed, blessed, blessed. You're favored 
and that's on your life if you just said that prayer. So I want you to leave this place knowing that you've got the blessing of God on your life, and I want you to walk with your head up and your chin towards the sky because it's not your own effort. It's what he's doing through you. Amen? Isn't God's word powerful? I truly believe that you are better because you listened to this episode. Galatians chapter three is so powerful. Now here's my challenge. Take what you learned, act on it right now. Move in confidence knowing that God just deposited something in you for a reason because he's got a plan for you. Give us a five-star rating, leave a review, share this with your friends, and V1 Church, wherever you are, we consider you family and we will see you next week.